Anyway, it's been my privilege to be here with you uh, this weekend, and uh, uh, I just love it to get to go places like I was telling your pastor earlier. Uh, coming out of a Southern Baptist church, uh, and of course I've been a Christian all, ever since I was 11. I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior in a little country church in Cross Plains, Texas when I was 11 years old. Uh, but I was raised in a good Christian home, had a great mother and dad that went to church, loved God, one marriage, one family, uh, all of their life until death done them both part, and dad died at 79, mother went home to be with the Lord at 83. So, but it was a great life, but still, by living in a church background environment all of my life and going to church all of my life, I still, since the denomination I was involved in, they didn't walk in the gifts of the Spirit. They, did, they didn't even teach these things. They didn't believe them. And so, uh, you know, I didn't know they were there because I didn't spend enough time with God at first to realize what was in my owner's manual. But uh, when I began to read this book in detail, when I was asked to teach a Sunday school class, when I was about, uh, I don't know, I'd already, I'd already been to Vietnam and back and come back, went back to school and graduated uh, and went to Dallas and started teaching engineering and for the airlines. And uh, I, I began to really uh, begin to study the Word of God because a man come asked me to teach a Bible study class. Now, I could stand before a group of graduate engineers, 25, 30 men, and have no problem teaching them formulas and all things about aircraft all day long uh, because I knew my subject. I had studied diligently, but when a man asked me to teach a Bible study class, I was awe, in awe to try to teach the Word of God. I thought, wow, no, God's not supposed to make any mistakes, but he really blew it when he asked me to teach a Bible study class. So that's really the way I felt. <laughs> I was just in agony over that. And so uh, the man, uh, Brother Wayne Galbraith, that asked me to teach that, he said, Thurman, I, I keep praying and asking God for somebody to teach a couples class, and he said, your name keeps coming up. I told him, I said, Brother Wayne, I thought God's not supposed to make any mistakes. <laughs> but I said, if, you want, if my name keeps coming up, he must have made a mistake. <laughs> but anyway, he told me to go home and pray about it. Well, I did, and I went home, and I said, Lord, I can't do this. I just don't know enough about the Word of God. Well, now, see, that was the problem. I didn't know enough about the Word of God, so I was not able to do something that I had no knowledge of. And so anyway, uh, after agonizing over that a while, I finally said, Lord, I cannot do this, but I will yield myself to you, and I will let you do this through me. Well, that's the first right thing I've done when I said, Lord, I can't do this, and I'll let you do it. So I started studying the Word of God, and of course, Coming out of the aeronautical background, teaching systems on large four-engine turbojet and jet aircraft to pilots and so forth and simulators, I couldn't afford to be wrong in anything I taught. Everything had to be exactly perfect. And I got to thinking one day, I thought, wow, if I make a mistake on that airplane, I might cost 50, 100, 200, 300 people their life, which is a lot of people, but if I'm wrong about this, I could cost people their eternity. And that's a difference. And I thought, wow, Lord, I, I, if I've spent all those hundreds of hours studying those engineering manuals and learning how to teach all these systems on these airplanes for the life of just a few people in the flesh, surely I can spend the time with you to study diligently to see what your word says. So I began to study anywhere from 5 to 15 hours every week to teach a 45-minute Sunday school class in a Southern Baptist church. 
I'll have to say, when I first started teaching, I didn't know who Paul was. I did not know who the Apostle Paul was. That's how little I knew about the Word of God. But yet I had been in Sunday school virtually every Sunday. Uh, but I didn't learn anything. Uh, I just I was too interested uh, in every, other things. You know, I'd be sitting in a Sunday school class and a teacher teaching, and I'm thinking about what I'm going to do next week. I know that none of y'all besides me has ever done that. So, and I know all of y'all always come out of your Bible study class and do everything the teacher was going to had talked about. But I could come out of the Sunday school class right out of the class. Somebody said, "What did the teacher teach on today?" I, I couldn't have told you, because my mind was running somewhere else. And I didn't understand who was operating my man. I didn't understand who the devil was. I didn't understand how he worked. I didn't understand a whole lot of anything except a little bit of the secular world that I was involved in. But when I began to study this book, 5, 10, and 15 hours a week, I began to see things in this book that absolutely shocked me. I thought, Lord, if this book means what it says, I'm in trouble. I am in deep trouble. I mean, there's things I've been doing that sin. I got to stop. I mean, this book says when I became a Christian when I was 11, I was supposed to have died to sin, and I'm not supposed to sin anymore. And I'd go to the pastor and I'd say, Sir, I got a question. I said, uh, What do you think about this where Paul says I'm supposed to die to sin and live unto righteousness? He said, I'm supposed to sin no more. He said, Well, Thurman, uh, God understands you're just a human being and you're just an unworthy sinner, so. It's impossible for you to walk without sin. Well, that made it a little easier for me to sin. I thought, well, he's supposed to know what he's talking about. But I go back to the Word, and the Word kept convicting me. That's not what I said. What he told you is not what I said. And so I went back to the Word. I began to meditate on those scriptures. And the more I meditated and studied on the Word of God, the more under conviction I became that I was supposed to walk in complete holiness and perfection before God. No sin. I was supposed to die to sin. I was supposed to live under righteousness. I was not to live under the law. I was to live under love. And under love, love did no damage to its anybody. And so I thought, wow, Lord, if all this is true, this is going to be difficult for me to do. But I began to work on it diligently. And as I began to work on it diligently and begin to study the Word, I began to run upon these awesome, awesome promises. And as I became, became obedient to walk in love and walk like the Lord says, he began to reveal to me great and mighty promises that before I'd read over them and they didn't mean anything to me. And now all of a sudden these promises become a revelation to me. And I thought, Lord, if I am who you say I am in this book and I can do what you say I can do in this book, I said, Lord, you gave me no limitations of what I can do. And so... I would literally go to pastors of churches I was involved with and say, what do you think about these mighty promises? And they would take five or ten minutes to explain away what Jesus had said in one line. And I thought, you know, I am totally confused. And so I thought, I'll wait till a doctor of theology from the seminary comes over here and I'll ask one of them. Surely they have the answer because these guys teach the Word of God. They're teaching our men in the seminary. And they know everything about the Bible. Boy, how wrong I was. They don't know very much about it either. And so they were just like me, only they had a little bit more knowledge than I did, but they didn't understand it any better than I did. And so I would ask them, and they would explain away what the Scripture said. I thought, Lord, I don't understand this. I, I, did, I am totally confused. I said, Lord, i got to have some answers. 
And so after 10 years of serious study with God and seeking him diligently, 27 years ago, the event that changed my life, the started the change of my life forever happened. I had my wife and I were married 15 years before our children started coming along. And then we had a son. Uh, and when Timothy was two years old, well, our daughter, Amanda, she was born. And she was a month old. And she, both of them were born in May, two years apart. And <clears throat> I was sitting there in my study one day in June, reading the Word of God. And I was in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And when I came to verse 4, the Word of God says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And right there it happened. The king of the universe walked into my study and spoke to me in an audible voice. He said, Son, pay attention. I have a message for you in the next few verses. I'm going to tell you, you can't never be a normal Southern Baptist after that. I don't care what anybody tells you. The Word of God takes on a whole new meaning to you when the king speaks to you in an audible voice. And he spoke to me in an audible voice. I could hear it just as clear as I can hear it right now. And it so startled me. And so I immediately began to consume those verses in Deuteronomy 6. When I did, what, he was, what Moses was doing as he was writing this by, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he was telling the children of Israel what they needed to do if they wanted their children to walk with God. Well, now let me tell you, if God said it then when Moses wrote it, it's just as good then as it is today. And if you will do exactly the same thing God told me to do and take it to heart just like I did just 27 years ago and begin to teach your children the Word of God, begin to read to them and become an example of Christ to them in your home. If you will do that, it will change your children's life. Now, I did that because the Lord had told me to do that. Up until that point, I had no uh, time in my home for reading the Word of God or praying with my children. I mean, we did that in church on Sunday. You know, I took my children and my wife to church every Sunday. We took the kids to Bible study class and dropped them off. We went on to Bible study, and, of course, I was teaching a Bible study myself. And we went to church service. I served as a deacon and usher and everything else. I served in every capacity in the church you could. I was heavily involved in the church. I always have been. But I, I thought I was heavily involved in the church until now. You know, in the last few years, I've been what you call heavily involved in the church. And when I say that, just to give you an example, uh, last week, uh, Monday, I flew to Baltimore and uh, preached the first sermon Sunday, uh, Monday night at 7 in Baltimore, uh, Maryland, and finally got out of there at midnight, uh, got to the hotel a little after midnight and got up at 8 o'clock and I uh, had a little bite of breakfast, and they picked me up for a 10 o'clock service. I preached a couple of hours and then answered questions till about 1.30 or 2 and prayed for people till about 3 or 4, went and had a bite to eat, and uh, then got went over to the hotel and changed clothes and cleaned up just a little bit and got back for a 7 o'clock service, and I was there every night till 12 or 1 o'clock in the morning before I get back to the hotel. I did that every day this week until Thursday. Thursday, I left there Thursday, uh, flew home to Dallas, uh, went and did a few things that I had to do. I finally got in bed at 1.30 in the morning and then got up at 5.45 and got an airplane and come up here. And so that's kind of the way it's been all week long. So, you know, that's, uh, that's pretty well what you call full-time service to the king. You know, not a whole lot of time to mess around in that. Uh, it keeps you busy. You don't have time to think about nobody but Jesus. But anyway, that's kind of the way my life has been. 
And I'm grateful to the Lord because he gives me the strength to do all those things and to go. And we probably saw at least 50 people healed in Baltimore. It, it was awesome what the Lord did. But as he built my faith, as I studied the Word of God, through the years, the, the Lord began to continue to work with me. And about two years later, uh, I had an awesome experience with God uh, after the first time he spoke to me. I mean, I know the Lord, you know, he knows he can't speak to us too often, or at least a guy like me, because if he does, I probably wouldn't be able to handle it. You know, so it waited about every two years to talk to me. So not, not every day, but every two years. So anyway, uh, he really got my attention a couple of years later. It was on a Monday morning at 9 o'clock. I went to Houston. I was a regional engineer at this time for a large corporation, building buildings, designing equipment, and so forth for them. And I had a big project going on in Houston. So I went down there to check on it. And our corporate office was in Houston at the time, the company I worked for. And uh, I thought, I'm going to go by the corporate office this morning and do my paperwork. And I got to thinking about the project. So when I got in the car, I drove from the airplane uh, right out, right by the corporate office, right on out to the job site. And I was out there in under 20,000 pounds of steel, and I was out there all by myself, out there uh, kind of on the edge of the parking lot where, where we had some bunch of stuff stacked up there. And I was in under there checking some things, and all of a sudden the Lord spoke to me, and he said, Son, you forgot to do your paperwork this morning. Now, I mean, I heard his voice just as clear. I, I looked around to see who was there, but I knew that was the Lord, and he was talking to me. And I said, Yes, Lord. I, I said, I did forget to do my paperwork this morning. I said, I was going to do it when I come by the corporate office. But I said, Lord, I just forgot it. I said, I just like 15 minutes under here, and I'll run right back over there and do it. He said, no, son, I want you to go do it right now. I said, oh, okay, okay. So I just laid down everything, and I crawled out from under there and stood up and took the second step, and the supporting structure holding the 20,000 pounds of steel exploded. And 20,000 pounds of steel fell exactly where I was five seconds before. When I finally regained my composure and I was looking there, I said, Lord, I don't have a clue what you have for me in the future, but I know you're not through with me. I said, you know, that magnificent verse in 1 Corinthians six nineteen that says I'm not my own, I'm bought with a price, has just taken on a whole new meaning this morning. Because, you know, when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are no longer your own. You belong to the king. So if he calls you to do something and you're disobedient to do what he tells you to do, guess what he'll do to you? He'll either quit talking to you or your death will be premature. He didn't put you here to do your thing. He put you here to do his thing. That's just like the other day, a woman, she knows about my ministry in the Dallas area, and she come to me, and she had a 54-year-old husband. And she said, would you come by the hospital and pray for my husband? And I said, yes, ma'am, I will. So I went by the hospital, and I met this 54-year-old man laying there, and I said, sir, are you a Christian? He said, yes, I am. I said, where do you go to church? And he said, well, I haven't been in 15 years. I said, why not? Oh, he said, you know, I just got other things to do. I said, but you know God didn't call you to do other things. He called you to do his will. He said, well, that, that, that's your interpretation. I said, well, not really. That's what the Word says. It's not my interpretation. That's the Lord tells us. In Hebrews 10.25, we're to forsake not the gathering of ourselves together on a regular basis as a manner of some are, and even the more so as we see the day of the Lord approaching. I said, so you're supposed to be in church real often. I said, I smell nicotine real heavy on you. I said, are you a smoker? He said, well, yeah, I am. I said, don't you know that's just a thing from the devil and he come to kill you? 
And he said, well, well, again, he said, that's in your interpretation. I said, no, nicotine is written on the package. It'll kill you. Even the, even the world knows that. I said, nicotine? I said, this will cause cancer. So I said, you know, you're, you're kind of dense if you smoke. And, and he says, well, but I enjoy smoking. I said, well, God will let you do it. But you just get, if you are a Christian, you just get to go home a whole lot earlier. So I said, uh, you've got a choice to make. You want to live a long, healthy life or you want to die early? He said, well, I want to live a long, healthy life. I said, then you're going to have to stop smoking. And I said, by the way, I said, are you a drinker too? And he said, well, yeah. He said, I said, do you drink at home or do you go out to the bars and drink? He said, well, I enjoy going with my friends down at the bar. I said, so you spend time in the bar drinking and smoking. You don't spend any time with God in the church. I, well, he said, I guess not. I said, well, you know, you're in the devil's pen instead of God's house. So I said, you're living in the devil's world. I said, so by living in the devil's world, you're off of the straight and narrow path that the Lord called us to walk down. So I said, you know, as long as you're out there in the world, the Word of God says Satan comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. So I said, you know, if you want to die early, you'll have to, you can continue to live like that. But if you want to live a long life, you must repent and tell God you're sorry for not going to church and you're sorry for smoking and drinking and you must tell him you'll quit. He said, well, Thurman, that's kind of your interpretation of the Bible. I said, no, it's not my interpretation at all. That's what God says. He said, be holy because I'm holy. I said, walk holy and go to church. I, that's hard to mess that up. So I said, you know, that's what God says. It's not my interpretation. I said, after all, I'm not the healer. He is. And I said, he knows your heart. And I said, if you'll repent and I'll pray for you, he'll heal you. Well, he kind of Sheepishly said, "Well, God, you know, you know, maybe if Thurman understands the Bible, you know," he said. Uh, he said, "I, I try to do better, Lord." I prayed for him. Four days later, guess what happened to him? He died. Sure, he did. He died. I mean, you know, I've learned that God didn't put us here to do our thing. He put us here to do His thing. And if we're about His business, and we do what He says, He will keep us healthy and satisfy us with long life and. If you walk holy before him, you don't have to be sick anymore. Because I learned that the hard way. The first 45 years of my life, although I was considered a very righteous man, a Christian, I went to church, I had one wife, I didn't run around on my wife, I didn't lie, I didn't steal, I didn't cheat, I didn't know, do any of those things, but everybody thought I was a very good man in what I did. But I had a lot of unbelief in my heart about God's Word. And what the pastor said a while ago, as far as God is concerned, in Hebrews 3.12, he clearly says in Hebrews 3.12, if you have a heart of unbelief, it is an evil heart of unbelief. And God sees a heart of unbelief as evil. So I was evil before God. Even though I was trying to walk as holy as I could before Him, I still never saw Him do any miracles. I, I never saw Him answer any prayers. I was just like I was totally turned off from God. And so I was a traditional, normal Baptist Christian. That's where most of us walk in the Baptist church. I mean, you know, you could have asked me, have you ever led anybody to Christ? And I said, no. Have you, are you a Sunday school teacher? Oh, yeah, I teach Bible every Sunday, you know, for an hour, every Sunday morning. Uh, are you a deacon? Oh, yeah, and I come to every deacon's meeting, and, and I try to do the best I can, and and I don't lie, I don't steal, I don't cheat, I don't do anything. I go to visitation every Tuesday night, and I maintain the church buses for him, and I do all kinds of things. I'm busy about the Lord's work. Have you ever seen God answer a prayer for you? No. Something wrong with this picture, isn't there? To serve the king of the universe and never see God answer a prayer, never let anybody to Christ, something's wrong with this picture. So I thought, 
back to the owner's manual. I've got to find out where I'm messing up. So I went back to the owner's manual, and I began to find out that I wasn't believing the Word. And as I began to believe the Word, of course, after the Lord began to speak to me, this book took on a whole new meaning to me. I will have to say, he became a whole lot more real to me after the first time I heard his voice, and after the second time when he saved my life, he really took on a new meaning. And of course, as I studied this book and began to learn what faith was, the Lord began to put me through little trials and tests, and I began to hear his voice more often, and I, he would put me through a test. And I had no idea what he was training me for. Had no idea. Wildest thing. I mean, you could, if you'd have told me that I would be today a pastor of a church in Dallas and traveling all over the United States and, and speaking to people and sending out thousands of tapes uh, every month and totally trusting God, not, having, uh, not selling anything, giving everything I do away, and seeing the Lord do what I've seen him do, I'd have said, there is no way I could ever do that. But he didn't tell me all that up front. He just let me take it one day at a time. And so as he began to build my faith, my faith began to get strong, and then about five, maybe five and a half, six years ago, I got so strong in faith because the Lord started sending me out to people, and I don't have a clue how these people got my name, but he started sending me out to people that were sick and afflicted. And I was learning what the Word of God said about what caused sickness and disease and who the enemy was and how to get people healed. And so I started going one-on-one, one family at a time, or one man at a time. I would never go to a home of a woman by herself, never. I never put myself in that place. They always had to be at least two or three people. And if there were only women, I always required at least three ladies to be in a home if I had to go to a home just with women. I would never go, and, and I really didn't like to go if there wasn't a man. But I have went a few times when there was as few as three women. But I didn't want to put myself in a place uh, where I could be accused of doing something wrong. I wanted to be holy before God. And so anyway, as I began to teach these people these things, I began to see God do great and awesome things. I began to see people get healed. I began to see answers to prayer. I began to see the Lord do awesome things. And of course, as I did that, I got bolder and bolder and bolder with the Word of God. And the more you see the Lord do, the bolder you become. And so as I got bolder and bolder, I started praying in the workplace for people. Uh, I started having prayer meetings in my work group. I was a manager over uh, and, and director of engineering for a large corporation, and I had a lot of people working for me all over the United States. So I became so bold. Everywhere I'd go, I'd start everything with a prayer, you know, did everything. I became a very unusual man in the workforce. But everybody began to see God do unusual miracles. And, and one of the most awesome miracles, as, as these things began to take place, even my executive VP out of the corporate office in Washington, he recognized something unique was happening to me. And so one day he called me and said, Thurman, I've got a, a facility we're trying to put together in Cairo, Egypt. And he said, uh, how do you have your region? Is it in pretty good shape? I said, yes, sir, I keep it in good shape. He said, could you take about three or four months off and go to Cairo for me. And I said, well, yes, sir, I've got it in extremely good shape and I've got some very knowledgeable men, so I believe I could take off and go over there. I said, what do you want me to do? He said, I want you to go over and build a building. I said, okay. I'd never been to Egypt. And so I met him the next day in Washington, D.C., and we went on an airplane from there to Cairo. And when I walked in over there, this building had been under construction for seven years. I couldn't believe it. It was a quarter million square feet. It had supposedly its own electrical plant, its own dry ice plant, had uh, 38 walk-in coolers and freezers and with blast coolers and freezers. It had 
uh, its own bakery. It was going to have its own bakery, its own meat processing plant and everything, but it was just a shell. And he said, we want you to finish this building. I said, well, where's the drawings? And he said, we don't have any. I said, you don't have any drawings? You want me to build a quarter million square foot building? He said, yes. I said, just a minute. I stopped with the people that was there in the Egyptian government. I turned and said, Father, in the name of Jesus, this is a chore that's impossible with men. But I know with you nothing's impossible. So I ask you, Father, in Jesus' name, to give me the knowledge and the wisdom I need to put this building together for them in the time they need it done so we can get them online, and I'll give you the praise and the glory for honor and honor forever. I said, thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. I turned to them. I said, I'm ready. And so they turned me loose with that building. And in three months, and in three months, I opened that facility. I mean, it blew them away. They absolutely could not believe what I did. Uh, they couldn't believe that I could open a drive plant, an electrical plant. Uh, uh, in fact, whenever it came down to this lady that was in charge of this uh, Egyptian air uh, catering organization, she said, we, when we got the bakery open, and the steam boilers and everything. I, it was, I should have, my boss told me I should have wrote a book about that, but just that one project, but I didn't. She said, we need a proving room far bigger for the role. Said, I bought these things from Sweden, these proving cabinets, and said they're not going to be near big enough. But, of course, she didn't know how to figure things. And she said, I need a proving room at least three times, or proving area at least three times as big as what we have. And she said, it took me a year to get these things from Sweden. She said, what am I going to do? I said, that's no problem. I'll build you one. She said, you'll build me one? I said, yes, you got a small 8 by 12 walk-in freezer here that you're not using at all. I'll convert that into a proving room. She said, you can do that? I said, yes, ma'am, piece of cake. And so anyway, I said, I'll need a few things. I figured in the city of Cairo, as big as it is, you could find anything over there. Well, you can, but it's sure not like coming to America. So I took a man and a van. And all day long, we drove all over Cairo trying to find some electrical and refrigeration companies over there to get the few little things that I needed to convert this room. Finally found them all. I converted that thing and made it work like they wanted to, and she was awestruck at, at my knowledge. I said, ma'am, if you tap into the resources, I said, Colossians 2, 3 says, all the secrets of the universe are hidden in Christ. I said, Colossians 1, 26 and 27 said, this is the mystery that was hidden before the foundations of the world. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So I said, if Christ is in me, which he is because I'm a believer, and all the secrets of the universe are hidden in Christ, he's in me, then there's nothing impossible with me. If I can pray and ask him, he'll give me knowledge and wisdom, and his spirit will communicate with my spirit, my spirit will communicate with my brain. And I said, I'll be able to get the answers from God to do anything. And she didn't understand that because she was not a Christian. But I've come to realize that most Christians don't understand that either. But this mystery that's in you has been well hidden by the devil. So anyways, I've done those kind of things, built buildings, designed equipment, and all kinds of things. I became bolder and bolder in my faith. And then I started praying for people for healing in the workplace. And I began to see God do awesome miracles. I mean, awesome things. I began to see people healed of cancer. It's, it's amazing what you can see God do. And as my faith got bold, I started a healing school about six years ago. I thought, I'll, I'll teach. I'll, just, I'll find me a place, and I'll start teaching people in church, you know, how to get healed. Well, my Baptist church wouldn't let me teach it. 
And so I thought, well, I'll go to some other churches. So I went to a supposedly a Pentecostal charismatic church and talked to the pastor and asked him, you know, what they would charge me to let me use the facility one Saturday a month. And so they made an arrangement with me, and I started teaching a healing school there. Well, I, I did it for a year or two here, and I moved around two or three or four different places uh, in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex because when miracles start happening, the devil starts coming against you. And, and they didn't like that, and so they would always ask me to leave. And so I kept teaching the Word. Well, things began to happen in a mighty way. And then in the, October the 13th, 2001, I had the greatest attack to the enemy I've ever had in my life. Uh, the devil didn't like me because I was getting too many people saved and healed. And I was teaching the Word of God, and, and God was honoring what I was teaching, and mighty things were happening. But on October the 13th, 2001, my wife of 41 and a half years and my 24-year-old daughter and my 3-year-old grandbaby and a little girl 6 years old, like, like a grandbaby to me, got up on a Saturday morning to go to Brownwood, Texas to a little birthday party and so forth and had some little sporting events for some of the other grandbabies on my wife's sister's side. They were just going to go down there and spend the weekend. Well, my wife and daughter got up and left at 6 <clears throat> so they could get down there by 10 for the first little sporting event that happened. And little did I know that in two hours, my wife and daughter were going to be in eternity with the Lord. The devil stopped my wife's heart at the pinnacle of a hill just four miles outside of Stephenville, Texas, and my wife veered into the left lane of an oncoming truck, and she hit right at the pinnacle of a hill where nobody could see either one coming. My daughter saw what happened, obviously, and reaching across to grab the steering wheel, when the truck said he'd come over the top of the hill and all he could see was a car headlights to headlights right in his lane and another woman reaching across to grab the steering wheel and he said, I hit him headlights to headlights at 70 miles an hour. And of course it totally destroyed the car, totally wiped the car plumb out to the back of the, to the front of the back seat in which my wife and my daughter were just cut all to pieces. Both of them were completely instantly killed right there on the site. My three-year-old grandbaby was strapped in the back in the center, and a piece of steel came all the way over the top of the car and cut her little seat belt, sheared it in two, and turned her loose and slammed her into the seat in front of her at 140 mile an hour closure speed. The little six-year-old, her seat belt held, but she, her body came forward with such force, her head hit the seat in front of her right here and busted her head open, plumb back to right there. And then it crushed both of her pelvics where her seat belt was strapped around her. They flew down there with a helicopter, they picked up the two little girls and carefully them over to Stephenville to the hospital. And as soon as they landed, the doctor looked at them. He said, forget it. He said, neither one of these children are going to live. He said, take them to Cook's Medical Center. And so they took them to Cook's Medical Center in Fort Worth. And I was teaching a healing school that Saturday when a police officer walked in the back door. And I saw a uniformed police officer with a gun on walk in. I thought, wonder what he needs. And so I walked back there and I said, sir, can I help you? He said, do you have a wife named Betty? I said, yes, sir. He said, do you have a daughter named Amanda? I said, yes, sir. He said, sir, there's been an accident. I said, are they injured? He said, sir, they're both deceased. I said, how about the two babies? And he said, well, they're not expected to live. They're in Cook's Medical Center in Fort Worth. I thanked him, and all of a sudden, the word of God that had hidden in my heart flashed through my mind. Job went through the same thing. Job didn't fall apart. He didn't start crying and screaming. Job fell in worship before God. I thought, Lord, if it worked for Job, it'll work for me. So I walked up to the front of the class, 
I told him what happened. I said, I want us to come to a time of worship and praise. If I ever needed God, I need him now. I said, let's worship him. So we worshiped the king for about 15 or 20 minutes. And then I told everybody, I said, I'm going to close the healing school today. I'm going to put my cameras and stuff in my pickup, and I'm going to go home because I'm fixing to go to Cook's Medical Center. And if necessary, whatever it takes, I'm going to raise those two children up with the promises that God has given me in his word. And those children will not die. They will run and play again. And so I was saying the right thing. I knew the power of my tongue. I knew the power of the word of God. So I went home, got my son. Uh, my son was two years older than my daughter. And I told him, I said, son, Mom and Amanda is in heaven with the Lord. I said, we've got a battle on our hands now. We've got to go to the hospital because Kelly and Caitlin are not expected to live, according to the doctor. So we get down there, we walk in, and a social worker says, uh, sir, I've got to tell you what you're going to see when you walk in that room. I said, honey, I know what I'm going to see. I'm an engineer by trade, and I know what happens when two pieces of steel running 70 miles an hour hit head, headlights to headlights. I, I know what I'm going to see. She said, no, you really don't. She said, sir, Kelly might live, but Caitlin, there's no way she can live. I said, oh, yeah, honey, they're going to both live. They're going to run and play. She said, there's no way. I walked into the room, and I looked at my three-year-old granddaughter, and her face was tore all to pieces. There was not a place on her that wasn't bleeding that I could see. Her skull was crushed in five places. Her brain stem was severed. Her eyes were disconnected from her brain. The doctor told me that when her face hit the seat in front of her, her brain came forward with such tremendous impact. And then when the car snapped back, it snapped her brain back, and it just sheared it off. Jerked her eyes loose, jerked her brain stem loose, face tore all to pieces, blood was running out her ears, her eyes, her nose, her mouth, everything. Everywhere there was a hole in her body, blood was running out. He said, we don't even know how many bones are broken in her face. He said, we don't know for sure what all's wrong in her chest and her lungs. He said, we do know that her right knee is crushed and her left leg is broken right below her knee and right above her ankle. So he said, sir, the pressure on her brain there is 20 and he said, that's not critical, that's critical, critical, and said she's going to die any second. I said, no, she's not going to die. See, the thing about it is, when you're confronted with these kind of situations, you've got to realize who the devil is. The beast come to this earth to steal, kill, and to destroy. But Jesus came to give us life and give it to us abundantly. And then Jesus gave us an owner's manual to tell us who we are and what we can do and how we can come against the forces of darkness. But most of us are like I was the first 45 years of my life. You don't study this book enough to learn who you are. So you live a defeated life and you yield to the devil all of your life instead of to the promises of God. I know I did that for 45 years of my 65 years. But I'm not doing that anymore. I'm believing God's word now. So when I walk in there and I look at that, I do not go by what I see. I know that faith is not what you see. Faith is not your five physical senses. Faith is believing and trusting completely and totally in the word of the living God. And he told me what I could do, and he told me who I was if I would believe him. So at this point, since I'd been teaching a healing school a couple of years, I had enough of the word in me, especially since I'd spent the last 20 years almost uh, studying the word of God from 5 to 15 hours a week. I had a little bit of the word of God hidden in my heart. So I walked in there and I didn't go by what I saw. I didn't cry. I didn't break down. I just started worshiping and praising God. I thanked him because I could see into the spirit world. I knew what would happen if I could stay in faith. 
I also knew what would happen if I stepped out of faith into sense knowledge. When I stepped into sense knowledge, I knew I would lose those little girls because that's where the world lives. But I was not going to go there. I was going to stay in faith. So I began to worship and praise the king. I walked over to Kelly's room, and I looked at her, and she was a whole lot better shape. Her face wasn't tore up. The only thing that was bad with her was right across here, back. Her head was tore up, busted open. Of course, her mother and dad were not anywhere close to faith people like, faith people like I was. They were Christians. They went to a Baptist church, and they were, they were typical Christians like I was most of my life. But anyway, I walked into the room where Kelly was and, and saw her laying there with her head busted open and her pelvic crushed and everything. And I told her mother and dad, I said, I'm going to quote John 16, 23, and 24 over Kelly. Now, there's two mighty, awesome, back-to-back promises there. Those two promises will guarantee you you can have from God anything you ask the Father for in the name of Jesus. He made a back-to-back. So if Jesus literally said in his word that if I will walk in love, now for the several times before we get to that, he said, and this is my commandments, I command you to love one another. Now, if you walk in love, these promises will work for you. If you do not walk in love, they will not work for you. You have to be holy before God. You have to keep his commandments. You have to do what he says. Now, if you as a man are having a disagreement with your wife and you're not being gentle and nice and kind to your wife, there's no use for you even trying these promises because they will not work for you. If you're being the gentleman that you're supposed to be to your wife, if you're loving her like God told you to love her, you're being the man at your house, the spiritual leader that God told you to be, and you're walking in love to all people, these promises will work for you. Because he said, your faith worketh by love, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. Which means if you don't walk in love, your faith will not work. And so that's something that took me a long time to understand. But when I understood it, I started walking in love all the time to all people. Well, I knew my faith was going to work, so I quoted John 16, 23 and 24 over little Kelly Ringstaff, and then I promised or guaranteed everybody in that room, including the doctors, that Kelly, when the doctor said, now she may live, but she may not, he said, but if she lives, she'll have brain damage, and it'll be two and a half to three months minimum before she'll be able to walk with a walker. I said, oh, no, not with my Jesus. Luke one thirty seven says, all things are possible with my Lord. So I said, and he also said, I can have anything I ask, ask the Father for in the name of Jesus, according to John sixteen twenty three and 24. So I said, Father, in Jesus' name, I ask you to raise up Kelly. Do such a great and mighty miracle of restoration on Kelly that everybody will know you did it. So there won't be no doubt in their mind. I said, Lord, if you raise her up and let her walk in three months, everybody will say, this is traditional, this is normal, so it wasn't you that did it. I said, do a supernatural healing on this little girl. I said, you promised me that anything I ask you for, Father, in the name of Jesus, you would do it. So I said, Lord, it's done. Now I turned to everybody and said, I guarantee Kelly will get a supernatural recovery. Guarantee she'll be out of here in record time because Jesus said I can have anything I ask the Father for in the name of Jesus. And everybody looks at you like, wow, this guy's lost his mind. But no, I stepped into the world of faith. Well, in one week, one week, little Kelly is out of ICU. One week, she's out of ICU. She's in a recovery room upstairs in Cook's Medical Center. In one more week, little Kelly's walking with a walker. She's released from the hospital the second Saturday. Two weeks after she come in there, she's released from the hospital, 
And Sunday morning, the second week, at the end of the second week, she's in church with her mother and daddy walking with a little walker. And everybody, even in the Baptist church, knew that they'd seen God do a miracle. But Monday morning when she woke up, she didn't hardly need that walker at all. And by Wednesday, she'd thrown away everything. She's back in school again Wednesday morning, running and playing like nothing had ever happened to that little girl. Now, I'm telling you, that's our Jesus. I mean, nobody but Jesus could do something like that. Well, I didn't have any more contact with Kelly after she left the hospital because I'm back over there with my baby trying to get, working on getting her healed. So I didn't have much contact with her for about three months. Well, at three months, she had a birthday party, and I went over to the birthday party one afternoon, and I asked her how she's doing. And she says, Mr. Thurman, she called me Mr. Thurman. She said, I'm doing wonderful, but she said, I hate these two great big scars. She had her bangs grew down all the way down to right here. And uh, she pulled her hair up and looked. She said, look at these two huge scars, and I hate those on my forehead. I said, oh, honey, I didn't know those scars were that. I never thought to ask the Lord to take those scars off. But I said, Jesus, don't want those scars on your forehead either. But I said, he can't take them off until a man of faith prays the prayer of faith for you. I said, now, John 14, 13, and 14, Jesus again put a double back-to-back promise there. Anything I ask the Father in the name of Jesus, he'll do for me. Now, see, this is in your Bible, I hope. If you read, at least I read the King James. You know, some of you may read other translations, but in John 14, 13 and 14, Jesus said back to back in two verses, anything I ask the Father in the name of Jesus, he'll do for me. And so if you believe the Word of God, see, you, you'll start acting on the Word of God. So I quoted those two verses to the king. I asked the Father in Jesus' name to take those scars off of little Kelly's head. And then I said, now, honey, because Jesus made you the promise, I guarantee they'll come off. Now, see, I don't say if it's his will, because if you put if in there, you don't know what his will is. And if God gives me a blank check, I'm just simple enough to believe he meant I could fill it out. Now then, I'm just simple enough to know if I know you're a man to me, like a lady the other day at, at, at uh, one of my Bible studies, she was talking about a bunch of questions, and she handed me a check. At the end, she said, Thurman, this is for your ministry. I said, okay, thank you. And I put it in my pocket. When I got home, I was going to enter it in a computer where I keep it with my records, and I unfolded the check, and it was totally blank. didn't have nothing on it. So I thought, well, I don't know what she wants for sure. She didn't sign it, so I thought if she had signed it, I'd have filled it in myself. But she didn't sign it, so I thought I'd better take it back to church Sunday and ask her what she planned. I took it back Sunday, and I called her name, and I said, you know, I don't know what you meant to do with this check you give me, but I said, do you just want to sign this? Let me fill it out. She looked at it. She said, oh, my goodness gracious. She said, I'm so sorry I got to talking to you. I forgot. She said, no, that's okay. I'll fill it out. <laughs> she said, if you fill it out, you might fill it out for more money than I got in the bank. I said, well, I said okay, if you give me a blank check, I'll fill it out. Now, see, that's what God plans for us to do, his children, because guess what? His bank account is not limited. He can do anything, and not just anything. Ephesians 3.20, the Lord says, I can do exceedingly abundantly above all you can think or imagine, according to the power that worketh in you. So, see, our king is not limited by anything. He has unlimited resources. So here he gives us a book that's got all these wonderful promises in it and tells us what to do, and we don't believe him. So, anyway... I begin to believe him, and so when I asked the Father in Jesus' name to take off the scars off of Kelly's head, I thanked him for doing it. And then I told Kelly, I said, I guarantee you, because Jesus said he would take them off if I asked. I said, I guarantee, honey, it won't be no time till you don't have any scars on your forehead. See, Jesus also said, when you ask for anything, you must ask in faith, nothing wavering. So if you waver, that's why we don't get anything. That's why I used to not get anything. I'd pray when I would pray. 
I said, now, Lord, if it be your will. Well, I never got anything because I didn't know what his will was. Until I learned what his will was, I never got an answer in prayer. But once I learned what his will was and then guaranteed he would do what he said he would do, I started seeing awesome answers to prayer. So anyway, after I prayed the prayer of faith for Kelly's scars, about 30 days later, four, four, about four weeks later, her mother comes sat down beside me in church one morning. I was sitting there, and she come, and Kelly sat, come running around, sat down right beside me, and her mother sat on the other side. She reached over and grabbed Kelly by the head and picked her hair up like that and said, Look, Thurman, and I looked, and no scars. Our Jesus completely took those scars off that little girl's head. And, of course, that's been three years ago, and that little girl's nine years old today, and, of course, she does not have a sign of an indication on her body anywhere that she was ever tore all to pieces in a car wreck. But I went back to my little grandbaby, which was significantly more tore up than Kelly. I mean, Kelly only had two crushed pelvics and a busted open head. Got her healed in just a little over two weeks in the name of Jesus. But my grandbaby was significantly more tore up. So that first night when I sat there, I sat there in the hospital over my grandbaby, and actually Kelly too, but primarily I was there right around Caitlin, and I was walking around her bed singing lightly to her and praising God, quoting God's promises and thanking him, completely raising her up and making her whole. So everything Caitlin's spirit heard all times she was in the hospital was nothing but the promises of God and with thanksgiving and praise that she was going to fully recover. That's what her little spirit heard from the day one. I never quoted a negative thought in her room. I would not allow anybody in that room that would even think about quoting a negative statement under no conditions. I warned you before you went in. You go in there, you don't go in there, and when you look at her, you don't fall apart and start crying. You don't say, oh, no, God. I said, you walk in there. If you can't say something positive, you keep your mouth shut. I said, I don't want to hear nothing in this room except the word of God spoken over this little girl. So that's what everybody did that went in that room. Well, a, a week come and went and with Kelly, or Caitlin, and uh, the second, it happened on Saturday, so the Second Monday, which had been about nine days, uh, the Dr. Marks, head of neurology, he said, uh, Monday morning, I got to have an appointment with the family. And so we all met, uh, me and my son-in-law, my son, and my son-in-law's mother. She's breathing. Evidently, she's breathing on, a bre on this breathing machine we got in her. So he said, and I don't understand how, because he said, I've just done the second MRI on her, and there's absolutely nothing attached to her brain. Nothing. So he said, uh, we're going to pull the breathing machine off her for this week. And he said, when she dies, you do not want to resuscitate her. Now, see, that's where most people lose it. But you can't go by what you hear. You can't go by what you see. You've got to go by what's written in the Word. I told the doctor, I said, she's not going to die. He said, sir, of course she's going to die. He said, there's nothing attached to her brain. I said, how about her eyes? He said, well, no, they're not attached either. He said, the eyes are okay, but said the cords that go from the eyes to the brain are disconnected. So he said, it's like having two video cameras with no recorder attached. I said, okay. I said, no problem. We'll get that reconnected. Jesus can do anything. I said, now, when you pull those tubes, I guarantee you she will not die. He said, how can you guarantee that? I said, because John 15, 7, Jesus made me a promise. <laughs> I said, in John 15, 7, Jesus said, now it has a requirement. John 15, 7, Jesus said, if my words remain in you, and you remain in me, he said, then you can ask me anything you want to, and I'll do it for you. Is that an awesome promise from the king? Yes. John fifteen seven. 
Well, I had met the criteria. I had spent the last 25, 30 years studying this book with such great intensity. I had a large portion of this book hidden in my heart. So Jesus said, if I remain in him, and he's the word, and his word remains in me, then I can ask him anything I want to, and he'll do it. That's a promise from God. And so why am I going to believe what this doctor says? I mean, i got a mere, I got a mere little problem here, a minor problem a minor problem to Jesus of a brainstem disconnected and her eyes disconnected and her face tore all to pieces and lacerated and cut and lungs crushed and knees crushed and legs broken. But to God, did he make this thing in the first place? Absolutely he did. Don't you think he can put it back together? Sure, I do. So I just believed God. I said, there's no doubt in my heart. I said, when you pull them tubes, she's not going to die. I guarantee she's not going to die. That little girl's going to live and she's not going to live. She's going to run and play and declare the glory of God. He looked at me and he said, sir, I hope you're right. But he said, there's not one chance in a million for this to happen. I said, well, see, that's where you're wrong again. I said, you hope. And I said, hope is always future tense. And hope never brings God on the scene. I said, when you hope for something to happen like this, it ain't never going to work. But I said, faith is right now. Faith is believing the word of God. And faith moves the hand of the king. So I said, I guarantee my little girl will run and play again. I said, Dr. Marks, are you a Christian? He said, no, I'm a Jew. I said, good. I said, my Jesus was a Jew, and he's the greatest physician in the universe, and you're going to see a Jewish physician do the best work you've ever seen in your life. I guarantee it. I mean, I'm serious. I'm not crying. I have nothing to worry about. I've got the Word of God, and I've got Jesus on my side. What else do we need? So anyway, all you've got to do is believe. So anyway, he said, well, we'll, we'll pull the tube probably Thursday, and he said, uh, We'll see. Well, I'm sitting over her quoting the Word of God every day. I mean, her little face, I'm watching her little face get well. And this, by this time, the second Thursday, we're nearly there two weeks, there's not hardly a bruise or a mark left on that little face. That little face has healed. Every cut and laceration has been put back together, and there's not even a scab or a scar on her face. In two weeks, God did that. So I'm seeing this every day. This is awesome to see the king work. I mean, it is awesome to see God do these mighty things. Well, that second uh, Thursday morning, Dr. Davis, which is a precious Christian doctor lady, uh, uh, she walked in. She was a lung specialist. And I'm standing there over Caitlin's bed like this with the Word of God, walking around, quoting the Word of God. And she walked in and she said, Mr. Scrivener, you are the only man I have ever met in my life that absolutely refuses to accept reality. I said, ma'am, you think my little girl there's reality, don't you? She said, well, of course. I said, ma'am, there's only one reality in the world, and I hold it in my hand. I said, everything else is just temporary, but this is eternal. And I said, this right here is not reality. This is faith. But this reality or this faith will cause that little girl to run and play again. I said, now you have trained yourself, although you say you're a Christian, you have trained yourself totally completely with your five physical senses. You have never trained yourself with the Word of God. And so you live in a world of sensuality and not in real reality, which is faith. I said, now, all the doctors and nurses begin to come in as they gathered around the bed. I said, now, folks, before y'all pull the tubes, I want to read to you and quote John 15, 7 out of the Word of God one more time. And I did. And I said, now then, on behalf of that promise in God's mighty word, which he said to me, every promise he made me, 
In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, it's yes and amen every time. Every promise of God is always yes and amen. I said, I'm going to guarantee y'all on the word of the living God that when y'all pull those tubes out of my grandbaby, she's not only going to breathe, she's going to breathe over that machine on her own, and she's going to cough. And the doctor said, that's impossible. I said, sir, Luke 137 said, with God, nothing is impossible. I said, pull the tubes and see the glory of God. And I backed up and said, do it. And they pulled the tubes. And when they pulled all the tubes away from Kaylin, they disconnected everything. They fully expected her to die. And the little thing that was hooked up to her breathing, it went up two points, started breathing on her own, two points greater than what she'd been breathing on the machine. And they were startled. And they were watching her a few minutes, and all of a sudden, she coughed. And the doctors, they all put their arms down on the bed and said, I don't believe this. And so an hour later, she's breathing so comfortable. Every once in a while, she'll cough ever so lightly. And every time she coughs, they said, I do not believe this. I finally, after an hour, told them, I said, guys, I'm going to tell you why you don't never see God do nothing. I said, he is a faith God. And I said, y'all have seen him do exactly what he said he would do in his word. And you still don't believe it. I said, so no wonder you don't ever see God do nothing. I said, he's a God of faith. He expects you to believe him before you see it. I said, so y'all won't never get to see God do nothing until you change the way you do business. But anyway, they finally, after about an hour, hour and a half, they finally left shaking their head. Never seen nothing like this. Well, within two total weeks, we were in the hospital. There was not a mark on Caitlin's face. Not a scar. I mean, not a laceration. She was beautiful. Her little face was perfect. What I didn't understand that what God was doing, do, if I had time to tell you, which I really don't, I don't want to keep you all day. I know there's some other, another service going to come in here uh, about two or something like that this afternoon. So we've got to get out of here before they get here. But in the process of time, I've heard many people say, if you're such a man of great faith, why don't you go down to the hospital and clean it out? I know how to do that. Because when I went down to that hospital, while I was there, in the month I was there in ICU, I wondered why God left Caitlin in ICU for a month and he took Kelly out in a week. Well, I found out there were seven other babies that were terminal in that hospital that I prayed over beside Kelly and Caitlin, and all seven of them were miraculously healed. There was nine babies miraculously healed in the hospital. I'm telling you, folks, we serve an awesome Jesus. Jesus, when your pastor said a while ago, God sends us out to cast that devils, to heal those uh, sick, and to raise the dead. But we don't believe him. You know, I saw many babies that were on their deathbed. And I will tell you just one of them. Uh, the second week I was in there, there was a man and a woman standing outside. And I'd come out of Caitlin's room, and I'm standing there. Somebody else wanted to go in and see her that evening. And so I was standing there, and a, a doctor, two doctors walked up and told this couple, said, we're sorry. Your baby is already 95% brain dead, and there's nothing we can do. He'll be dead before morning. And they walked off. I walked up, and I said, sir, are you a Christian? He said, yes, I am. I said, where do you go to church? He said, well, I'm an over-the-road truck driver, and I hardly ever get to go to church. I said, what a shame. The devil stole all of God's promises from you. You're a worldly man if you're a Christian. And I said, so the devil's going to kill your grandbaby. I looked at his wife. I said, how about you? She said, well, I'm a Christian. I said, you go to church? She said, well, no, my husband's never at home. Said he's a truck driver, and he's never at home on Sunday. So said, we don't ever go to church. I said, what a shame. You don't go to church. You're disobedient. You don't know the word of God, so the devil's going to kill your grandbaby. I turned and looked at the young woman, a mother. I said, how about you, honey? She said, well, I'm a Christian, but I don't go to church at all. I looked at her husband, 
the young boy of this family, the son, I said, how about you? He said, well, I believe in God. I said, son, the devils believe in God, and they tremble. But I said, what you need is Jesus. And so it took me about 20 or 30 minutes to take the Word of God and lead that boy to Christ. When I got him saved, I said, you're clean and you're a new creature right now. I said, you'll never be in better shape for a miracle than you are right now. I said, where is your baby? He said, he's in there. I said, take me in there and show me the baby. So I went in there. Here's a little tiny two-month-old baby laying there. Had tubes plugged all over him, totally lifeless. 95% brain dead. Doctor said he'd be dead by morning. By this time, it's 11 o'clock at night, that night. I walked in. I said, son... Can I have the spiritual authority over your baby? I said, you're the spiritual authority in the home. Can I have it? He said, I don't even know what you mean. I said, just tell me yes. <laughs> he said, okay. So I reached over and I put those two fingers on the little tummy, the little naked tummy of that baby. And I said, according to Mark chapter 16, verse 18, I said, be healed in the name of Jesus. And I took my fingers off of him and I turned up mother and daddy and I said, I guarantee because Jesus made you the promise this baby will not be dead in the morning, but he'll be alive and well. And I turned and walked out. The next morning I came back about 10 to see Caitlin. When I was walking to the room, this young woman come grab me. She said, Mr. Scrivener, would you please, I know you hadn't been to Caitlin's room yet. I've been watching for you all morning. Would you please come over here and see my baby? I said, okay. I walked over and she said, sir, when he woke up this morning, when we got in here this morning, he was already awake and he had pulled all of the tubes out of himself and said he's laying there alive and breathing. And the doctors have checked him. And they said there's not, nothing wrong with him. And they're going to put us in upstairs recovery for one more day. And if he's fully okay, we're going to go home tomorrow. And tomorrow they went home. So it's amazing. It's amazing what God will do for us if we just believe him. But, you know, we don't believe him. He has told us all these wonderful things. And, of course, somebody said, well, I'm going to try that and see if it works. Forget it. Don't go try it because I guarantee it will not work for you if you try it. You don't try anything in the kingdom of God. You either do it by faith or it does not work for you. And when you go in there to do it, you don't go in there with sin in your life. If you go in there with sin in your life, it will not work for you. Because Psalm 66, 18 clearly says, I will not hear the prayer of a sinner. So if you're walking in any kind of known sin, God will not hear your prayer. He expects you to walk in love, just like he said. He expects you and me to love everybody, love our neighbor, love our spouses, love our children. Be examples of him. You don't think he's going to share his power with you if you're walking in the devil's world and you're meaner than hell to your wife and your kids and you're cussing and you're telling dirty jokes and watching the, as the world turns or whatever they call that stuff anymore. I hadn't, I hadn't watched television in 15 years, so I don't even know the names of nothing. But if you're feeding yourself the trash of the world, don't expect God to do nothing through you. He's not going to. But if you will make yourself holy and clean, then he will do these things. So... As I stood there in faith for Caitlin and watching Caitlin get well, as she's going, I began to see all these other miracles, which I don't have time to tell you today, but out of all of them, I saw the Lord do seven other mighty miracles like that for seven other babies that were all on their deathbed besides Kelly and Caitlin. So I even had encounters with angels while I was there. Three angels came and visited me. They talked to me. It was awesome what God had did, did for me during that time. It was the most awesome trial of tests that I've ever been through in my life. But finally, when we got out of ICU a month, we went home, and the doctor said, I don't understand how this little girl lives. But he said, take her in a wheelchair. She'll never walk. I said, oh, I'm never going to put her in a wheelchair. This little girl will run and play. He said, I don't understand how she's breathed. But he said, I, I just don't. But said, this girl will never walk. I said, I do not receive that word curse in the name of Jesus. I will not accept that. 
I said, the Lord says I can have anything I say with my mouth in Mark 11, 23. So I said, this little girl will run and play again. I guarantee you she will. In Jesus' name, I took her home. I carried her home. And as I carried her and took her in the car, and we took her home, I held her in my arms, and we got to the house, and I put her in the bed, and I set, up, set her up in the bed, and I said, Caitlin, in the name of Jesus, I command your body to be strong, and I command your body to set up in the name of Jesus. And I turned her loose, and she'd fall back down in the bed. Well, I picked her up and do it, did it again, and did it again, and did it again, and did it again, until she finally, after a few days, got to where she could set up. And then I took her out of the bed and stood her up, and I commanded her body and her legs to be strong so she could stand. And I turned her loose, and she fell down. I picked her up, and I did it over and over and over and over until she could stand. Then I commanded her to walk until she could walk. And she finally got to where she could walk. Now, she's still totally blind, and we got a problem with, her, with a, a valve in her throat. When we come home, the doctor said for some strange reason, the valve in her throat was disconnected in the accident, and it does not work. So he said, you cannot feed her by mouth. They put a plug in her tummy and said, you have to feed her with this liquid diet with a little pump three times a day. I said, okay. So I, I received that. I, I, like a dummy, you know, I just, it's amazing how you can walk in faith for some things and can't walk in faith for something else. So anyway, I took her home, and we did all these things. I got her to walking. I couldn't get her eyesight back. Uh, she was blind. I prayed over her eyes. I did everything uh, for a couple of months, and nothing worked. I could not get her eyesight back. She was walking, everything, but she's still totally blind. My son, he told me one day, he said, Dad, I just can't fathom being blind all of my life. I said, son, she's not going to be blind. I said, with this mighty book and the promises in this book, I don't know what I've done wrong, but somewhere I'm going to hit it sooner or later, and I'm going to get her eyesight back because the promises are there. I said, God can't lie. So finally, after three months, come January the 6th, she was still blind. This happened on October the 13th. We had opened a brand-new sanctuary at the Justin First Baptist Church, and there was about 400 people there that day, and since it was a brand-new building, and I told them, I said, I, I would like for anybody that's a man of faith that believes that God will do what he guaranteed to do in his word, I'd like for you to come here this afternoon, and, and we're going to meet at 2 o'clock, and we're going to pray for Caitlin's eyes to be open. I said, and if you don't believe God's going to do it, don't come, because I do not want you here. But if you believe he will do it, then I would like for you to come if you can. Let's see. Her eyes were reconnected, and from that day to this, she sees fine. The Lord reconnected those little cords to her brain. Dr. Marks was so shocked. He just couldn't believe it. When I took her down for a checkup that one time, and he, he, he told me when I left the hospital, he said, she'll never walk again. When he saw me walking down the corridor with her holding my finger, he come grab her and jerked her up and tuck her into his office and sat down. He began to check her. I said, Dr. Marks, what do you think about my Jesus now? <laughs> he said, sir, all I got to say is somebody a whole lot bigger than me put this little girl back together. I said, yes, sir, and his name's Jesus, and he's a Jewish physician. I said, and he loves you, and he wants you to come into his kingdom and serve him too. But as far as I know, I haven't had any more contact with Dr. Marks, so I don't know if he's ever made that decision to follow Christ or not. But I showed him and told him and gave him the most awesome demonstration of God's power that he'd ever seen in his life. And still, as far as I know, the man has never accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. But I have one problem left. She can't eat. Everything else is working, but she can't eat. We have to feed her with that little tube in her tummy. I pray over that thing. I take a scripture, Mark 11:24. 24. 
Mark 11:24. The Word of God says, Whatever you desire when you pray, believe you have received it, and you shall have what you ask for. That's a pretty awesome statement from the king, isn't it? That is a blank check to you and me. Whatever you desire, when you pray, believe you have received it, and it shall be yours. I prayed over her from the time we brought her home, and the doctor said, bring her back in two months and we'll check the valve. Well, I prayed that prayer over her and thanked God for it during those two months, and we took her back, and the valve wouldn't work a lick. I brought her home. I repented of any known sins. I quoted those verses again. I prayed over her again. And I praised God in thanking for two more months, and we took her back, and the valve wouldn't work. We did this for ten months. So when some of you don't get your answer right quick, don't give up. I'm telling you, don't ever give up. Never give up. When you give up, that's when you lose it. But don't ever give up. I stayed in there, and finally, after the tenth month, I came home and I said, Lord, this book can never fail. It's got to be me. I'm the one that's wrong. I've got a sin somewhere in my life. I don't know what it is. But I'm asking you to reveal to me what the sin is. Because I want to get it corrected because I want to see my granddaughter be able to eat normally. And so I went back to the Word of God. And who in the world would ever think you could meditate on one line for two weeks? Who would ever dream you could take the Word of God and read? Somebody said, well, I read the Bible. It took me, uh, I read the New Testament, it took me two weeks or three weeks. So I've read it. That's all there is to it. Let me tell you, I meditated on one line, Mark eleven twenty four, for two weeks before I got my answer. At two weeks of meditating on one verse, the Lord revealed to me what I'd done wrong. He says, whatever you desire. Now, what did I desire? The valve to work in my grandbaby's throat. He says, when you pray. Not two months from now when you take her to the doctor. When you pray, believe you have received. And it shall be yours. When he finally revealed that to me, I said, Lord, I'm so sorry I did. You said, Romans 14, 23, anything I do that's not of faith is sin. So I sin. And you said, you will not hear the prayer of a sinner. So I said, Lord, I had sinned. I said, forgive me. I said, now I know according to 1 John 1, 9, I'm restored to righteousness. I have confessed my sin, and I'm forgiven. I said, so Lord, now that I can come back into your throne of grace, clean and pure, and I ask you one more time, on behalf of Mark 11, 24, I desire the valve work in Caitlin's throat. I ask you to fix it. I said, I thank you, Lord. It's done. And I closed the Bible. And I walked across the street to her house. Her daddy's name's Toby. I said, Toby, God's waiting on you and me. He said, what do you mean? I said, feed her. He said, Thurman, we just got back from the doctor two weeks ago and the valve don't work. If I feed her, it's going to kill her. I said, two weeks ago it didn't work. I said, this morning it didn't work. Or right now it does. He said, how do you know it? I said, because the Word says it does. Is this what you call trusting the Word? Is this, how many of you know if I'm wrong and I feed her, guess what's going to happen to my only granddaughter? She's going to die. It's going to run into her lungs. And I'm going to lose her. I'm either going to trust God and do what the Word says because I'm walking holy before Him. I believe Him. Or I'm going to believe the doctor and I'm going to feed her through that tube the rest of her life. 
I prayed that prayer of faith. I believed God. And when I told Toby, I said, Toby, feed her. He said, Thurman, Thurman. He said, I can't do that. I said, Toby, did the doctor say she would die that day? He said, yes. I said, did I tell you she would live? He said, yes. I said, did she live? He said, yes. I said, the doctor said she would never move. I said, is she running and playing? He said, yes, she is. I said, did the doctor say she would never see again? He said, they did. I said, does she see? He said, yes. I said, the doctor said a lot of things, didn't they, Toby? He said, yes. I said, they were wrong in every case, weren't they? He said, yes. I said, don't you think it's time you trust God in me now? He said, okay. I said, you got something to eat? He said, I've got some applesauce. I said, give her a bowl of applesauce. And he said, I got a little bottle of juice here. I said, set it out there. He put it on the table. I called her. I said, Caitlin, honey, come in here. Jump up there to the table and sit down and eat that applesauce and drink that bottle of juice for granddaddy. And that little four-year-old, she was four by this time, she jumped up there to the table, took her little spoon, and for the first time in ten months, she put something in her mouth and swallowed it. And she ate the whole bottle, whole bowl of applesauce, and she drank about half of that little bottle of juice. And she jumped down and ran and played. And from that day to this, we have fed her completely normal, totally. She's six years old now. We two, uh, six weeks later, we took her back to the doctor for a checkup. The doctor checked her valve. He said, I would have never believed this in my life. Never. He said, for 10 months, that valve didn't work a lick. But he said, today, it works perfect. He said, you can start feeding her now. <laughs> I said, doctor, we started feeding her six weeks ago. That's why it worked. He said, sir, you have got to be the craziest man I have ever seen in my life. But let me tell you, this crazy man has seen God do awesome miracles. And everything I do revolves around the Word of God. If you'll believe him, you can see him do mighty things. He's very real, and he loves you, but he's a faith God, and he expects you to believe what he put in this book with no doubt in your heart. Now, if Jesus says by his stripes you're healed, he heals you. He healed you 2,000 years ago. If he said in Matthew 8:17 that I bore your sickness and I removed your disease 2,000 years ago, that's what he means. When you get to where you can believe that, you won't never have another sick day. When you get to where you believe that, when a sickness or a pain or something comes upon you, you won't never receive it again. You'll realize who it is. It's the enemy. It took me 45 years to learn that principle. 45 years I walked in quite a bit of sickness and disease. But from 45 to 65, I've not had one sick day. And let me tell you, believing the Word is what got me there. So if you'll listen to what I teach you from this book, I'll teach you, what I'll teach you may be very foreign to what you've heard in your life from a lot of teachers, but that's why I quote the scriptures over and over and over, because what I teach must be confirmed with it is written. And if it's written, then God will confirm what he says in your life, just like he did in mine. And let me tell you, we serve a God that is so awesome that if we ever get a hold of who he is and what he did for us, you will start doing what your pastor said a while ago. We will start going out and winning the loss to Jesus. We will start going out and healing the sick. We will start going out and casting out demons. And we will start seeing the dead raised. Now, I've only seen one man raised from the dead. Only one. He had only been dead about a half hour. The man had worked for me for 20 years. 
And when they called me in the wee hours of the morning to tell me he'd had a massive heart attack and he was dead, I told them, I said, let's pray. They were all Church of Christ. And this man, I tried to get him healed every time something would go wrong in his life, and he would never believe me when he was alive. But now that he's dead, he don't have nothing to say about it. <laughs> so, whenever his, uh, whenever his son-in-law said, Thurman, uh, uh, it was about 2 o'clock in the morning, he said, Thurman, I thought I'd call you and tell you that we lost Bo tonight with a massive heart attack. He said, we haven't had a pulse or a heartbeat in almost a half hour. I said, let's pray. He said, Thurman, it's too late to pray. He's dead. I said, it's never too late to pray. He said, I, he said well, I, I, I can't. I, he said, I can't pray with you. I said, no problem. I said, you spirit of death, over the telephone. I said, you spirit of death, I rebuke you in Bo Jackson. I command you to come out of him. I said, Father, in Jesus' name, put the spirit of life back in him. In Jesus' name. And the, this guy, which is a paramedic, he said, My Thurman, I got a heartbeat. He's breathing. He said, I'm going to take him to Irving to the hospital. Okay. So when he said Irving to the hospital, there's only one hospital in Irving. So I get up, and a couple hours later, I get up and get around, get dressed, and I drive down there about a couple hours. It takes me to get there. I walk in, and I find a doctor, and I said, Is Otho Wayne Jackson in here? He said, Yeah, he's down in room number so and so. I said, How's he doing? He said, Well, he appears to be stable. He said, The guy would have been better off. He'd have stayed dead. I said, what do you mean by that? He said, well, he didn't have any heartbeat or pulse for a long time, and the paramedic said he had, you know, no brain, no oxygen to his brain, so the guy, if he recovers, said he'll be a vegetable. Amazing how we think, isn't it? I said, Doc, I said, you see those hands? He said, well, sure. I said, the anointing power of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit's in them hands. I said, Jesus said. Now, that's where you get in trouble when you start quoting Jesus. I said, Jesus said in Mark chapter 16, verse 18, to lay them hands on the sick and they'll recover. He didn't say they'd be a vegetable. And he looked at me like, oh, one of them crazy guys, you know. He just turned and walked off. That's okay. You know, I don't mind being made a fool of for Jesus, do you? So anyway, I walked down to the room. I laid my hands on that guy. I said, in the name of Jesus, be healed. I said, guarantee he'll fully recover. In about three weeks, the guy's fully recovered, out of the hospital, back at work, worked for me three or four more years, Finally retired when he got about 64, 65, and today he's got a retirement home down in Granbury, Texas, living on a lake, and he goes out and fishes and goes to church all the time, but he's still the Church of Christ. But praise God. You know, God honors somebody's faith in this, and he told us what to do, and today you and me start doing what God told us to do. You're going to get to see the king do some wonderful things. Number one, straighten your act up and start walking holy before God. That's number one. Holiness is required. Be obedient, and then start reading the Word. Let the Lord reveal to you His Word, and then as He reveals the mighty Word to you, start praying in faith according to the Word, and watch our King. Answer your prayers, and do great and mighty things for His kingdom. And you will just be astounded at the mighty things you'll get to see the King do. Praise the King.